Our scripture text today is from Acts chapter 10. Acts 10, verse 34 through 44. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened through the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, this passage is a synopsis of a sermon that the Apostle Peter preached to a group of people in a city called Caesarea in the early years of the Christian movement. This is the first time that uh, Peter had addressed this group of people. It was the first time any of them had ever heard a Christian message. And as you can tell by verse 44 at the end, Hearing this message changed their lives. It says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard. And so what I'd like to do uh, quickly with you this morning is I just want to analyze this sermon that Peter preached. I want to analyze the sermon by viewing it from three different angles. First, I'd like us to look at the hearers, the hearers of the message. Then we'll look at the heart of the message. And then finally, I want to talk about the hope that this message can bring us. So the hearers, the heart, the hope. Another way to say that is we'll look at who Peter was speaking to, what Peter focused on, and then why this is good news for us. Okay, so first, who, who were the hearers? Who was Peter speaking to here? You can kind of tell from verse 34 and verse 35 that Peter seems to have been surprised to find himself addressing this particular group of people. Verse 34 says, Then Peter began to speak, I now realize, or, or he says, Now I get it. I now realize, he says, how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. He's, it's almost like he's saying, this is amazing. I can't believe this. Here I am speaking to all of you. 
Now, to understand Peter's reaction, we need to kind of know the backstory. okay? So in the, in the city of Caesarea, there was a man whose name was Cornelius. Cornelius was a centurion in the Roman army. He was a, a man who was successful in his military career, a fairly affluent man. We read that he was a person who had a large family, had lots and lots of friends. He occupied a position of authority. So, so Cornelius was a man, you would say, in his generation, he was very successful in life. But in spite of all this success, it seems that Cornelius hungered for something more. I wonder if you've ever known somebody like that who outwardly is very successful, but they just hunger for more. There's got to be something more. This is the way Cornelius was. In spite of everything that he had, he was just longing for more. And so we read that he was a man who was diligently seeking to find God. We read earlier in the chapter that he, he got involved in the, the needs of his community. He gave to the poor. We also read that he prayed to God every day. And we read that one day while Cornelius was praying, an angel appeared to him. And the angel said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers. Send to the city of Joppa. Ask for a man named Peter. Have this man Peter brought to your house. He has a message for you by which you and your family can be saved. Now, we don't know exactly what Cornelius thought when the angel told him, so, told him this, but he may have thought, you know, I, I don't think this guy, Peter, is going to want to come to my house. I don't know if he will want to come to me. And the reason that Cornelius may have thought that is because Cornelius was a Gentile, and Peter was a Jewish man. And you, some of you probably know that in the first century, there was great, great animosity uh, between the Gentiles and the Jews. The Jewish people feared the Gentiles. They resented the Gentiles. And for very good reason, the Gentiles uh, were pagans. They were idolaters. And just for centuries, Gentile armies had been invading and conquering and oppressing the people of Israel. In fact, Cornelius was, as a centurion, he was an officer in the, the very military force that had invaded Peter's homeland. So Cornelius, when he's told, go find this Jewish man, Peter, he may have thought, I don't know if he's going to want to come to my home. But you know, when an angel tells you to do something, you do it, right? So Cornelius sent these messengers to go find Peter. Meanwhile, back in Joppa, Peter was praying. And Peter also had a vision. And in this vision, God said to this Jewish man, Peter, God said, Peter, don't you ever call anyone or anything impure if I tell you they are clean. Don't ever call anyone impure if I say they are clean. And then the Holy Spirit said to Peter, there are some men coming to your house to seek you. Go with them to where they're taking you. Do not be afraid. So that's the backstory. Peter, these messengers come. Peter goes off to Cornelius' home. By then, Cornelius had gathered into his home all of his family, all of his relatives, all of his friends. Peter walks in the door to Cornelius' home, and he finds this house filled with the kind of people his mother warned him about when he was a little kid. He finds this house just 
filled with Gentile men, Gentile women, Gentile boys, Gentile girls. Listen, all of them sitting there eagerly waiting to hear the gospel. And that's when Peter says, now I get it. I now realize, I get it now. God does not show favoritism. God does not discriminate. God does not exclude people. But Peter says, but he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. It meaning the message of God's love in Christ. Isn't this good? The message of God's love in Christ. Guys, it's for everyone. Everyone. One uh, pastor who was preaching on this passage, a pastor named John Piper, he said this. He said, one lesson we learn from this text is that no human being is common or unclean. None is to be spurned, shunned, rejected, despised because of his or her ethnic origin or race or culture or physical traits. He said Christians should have no part in the kind of racism that is cropping up in our land. Would you agree that that's true? I'm sure you would. It's not just true, it's important for followers of Christ to know. Because listen, right now, oh man, we live in a country that is just fractured in so many ways. We're splintered, splintered over politics, over race, over gender, over cultural issues. And what this passage shows us, and isn't this good news, that no matter who we are, no matter where we come from, no matter what we look like, Guys, the good news of God's love in Jesus Christ is for everyone, everyone. So that's what we learn by looking at the hearers. These are the, the hearers of this message. Now let me talk about the heart of this message. What does is, what is Peter focus on here? You'll notice, if, if you look at this passage, you'll notice that these people to whom Peter was speaking, it seems that they already knew quite a bit about Jesus. In fact, they already knew a lot about Jesus. For example, you'll notice they already knew about Christ's teaching. Verse 36, they say, you know the message God sent. Peter says, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Christ. They knew the message that Jesus had taught. They knew about his teaching. You'll also see that they knew about Christ's good works. You know, Jesus did a lot of good works. Jesus healed the sick, he fed the hungry, he welcomed the outsider, they, they, and they knew this. Verse 37 to 38, you know, Peter says, what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. So. They knew about Christ's teaching. They knew about his good works. They already knew. They knew that Jesus was a spiritual leader who did good things and taught wise moral truths. Now, someone might ask, wait a minute, if they already knew this, why did they need Peter to come preach a message to him? Because here's why, because it's not enough just to know that Jesus was a good person. 
It's not enough merely to know that Jesus was a wise moral teacher. It's not even enough to know that Jesus was a worker of miracles. Why? why? It's not enough to know that if you don't also know that God raised him from the dead. The heart of Peter's message was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see that in verse 40 and 41. God, Peter says, God raised him from the dead on the third day, caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. The the heart of the message is he rose. Now, now why is that significant? I'll, I'll tell you. In the course of human history, many... Many good, wise, spiritual teachers have appeared in this world. Many. But other than Jesus, all of them are dead. The, the, uh, the prophet Muhammad, Muhammad, his tomb can be found in uh, the city of Medina in Saudi Arabia. It's a very sacred site for, for Muslims. It's, uh, it's commemorated by this beautiful, beautiful mosque there that's called the Green Dome. And many people go there to, to pay homage and to visit that. Buddha's body was cremated in Kushinagar, India. And there are these beautiful sacred sh- shrines there that commemorate the place where his ashes lay. The Cemetery of Confucius can be visited. It's in, the, in his hometown in the Shandong province of China. So, so there are these sacred places all over the world that commemorate the resting places of the bodies of, of these great moral leaders whom we have seen. But listen, Jesus is more than that. Jesus is more than a wise teacher. He's more than a good example. You you don't find any shrines that commemorate the resting place of his body. He rose from the dead. He is alive. Romans 1 verse 4 tells us the significance of this. It says that God declared Jesus to be the Son of God by power through his resurrection from the dead. And so if you look in the book of Acts, the the thrust of all apostolic preaching in, in the days of the early church, the central point was always he's risen, he's alive. It's the resurrection of the dead. That's what they proclaimed. In the early church, they they didn't just talk about the empty tomb once a year on Easter Sunday. No, they talked about the resurrection everywhere they went, all the time. It was the heart of their message to the world. He's risen. He's alive. Acts 4, verse 33 says, The apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. So the heart of the message, you see it in verse 40, God raised him from the dead. Now, why is that so important? That's that's my third point. It's so important because this gives us hope. The resurrection of Christ gives us an undying hope. Hope of what? Hope of two things. Hope of justice and hope of mercy. So first, justice. I I wonder, have you ever, I bet you have, 
Have you ever just longed for there to be justice in this world? Maybe you read of the suffering of the poor, how, how just millions and millions are crushed under poverty beyond what we can imagine. Right now, you say, oh, I wish there were justice for them. Or, or, or you hear of acts of violence and racism and oppression. You say, oh, I, I wish there would be justice. Or you learn of the destruction of the environment or, or the greed that just drives, seems to drive everything in our world. Have you ever just longed for justice? When I was in high school, I had a friend named Kenny, Kenny Bernstein. Kenny uh, lived near our high school, so we would often hang out at his house af after uh, classes let out. And uh, Kenny's grandmother lived with his family. His, gr his grandmother was an elderly woman bound to a wheelchair, and she really wouldn't say much, just sit in the wheelchair and kind of just stare off into the distance alone in her thoughts. And one day I was at Kenny's house and we're walking through the living room and he, and he turns to his grandmother and he says, Grandma, Grandma, show David your tattoo. He walked over to his grandmother, turned her hand like this, and on the inside of her forearm was tattooed the serial number that had been given to her as a little girl in a concentration camp in Nazi-occupied Germany. And you've probably seen things similar to that that just cause you to say, God, I wish there were justice. Listen, listen to me. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the empty tomb, is God's promise to this world that one day, hear me, one day, justice will come. Justice will come. Verse 40 says, God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. Verse 42, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify, look, that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. The resurrection is God's promise to this world. Justice will come. Human history will not end to the sound of the slave driver's whip. It will not end to the muffled groans of the poor. It will end with Jesus Christ pronouncing judgment, bringing justice to the world. Do you realize this is a fulfillment of a long-awaited prophecy going way back in, into the early days of the Hebrew people? Isaiah 42, verse 1. This was the prophecy about the Messiah. It says this, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. Justice. Listen, if you think about it, I would say the greatest act of injustice that ever happened in history was that day when the beautiful, precious Son of God was stripped, beaten, mocked, nailed to a cross, and died. That was the greatest act of injustice that has ever happened. At the resurrection, the greatest act of injustice, listen, it was completely undone. So the resurrection of Christ is God's promise that one day justice will come. Now, that is and ought to be a source of comfort for us, right? But for 
the self-aware person, and I'm trusting you are a self-aware person, the promise of coming justice, it's not only a source of comfort, it's also a cause for concern. Because if Christ is going to come and judge the world, you know what that means? That means he's going to judge me. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. That's cause for concern. And and so I want to just end by telling you even better news. It's good news that justice is coming. Even better news is that mercy is here today. Not only does the resurrection give us hope of justice, it gives us hope of God's mercy. And you see that in verse 43. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness, forgiveness of sins through his name. The, the, The resurrection is proof of God's forgiveness for those who trust in Jesus. You know, when you go into a store and you buy something, they give you a receipt. That receipt is proof that the price has been paid. Jesus died on the cross to pay for the sins of all those who trust in him. The resurrection is kind of like God's receipt, just telling us that payment has been made in full. Romans 4 verse 25 says that Christ was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. He he was delivered to death to pay for our sins and he was raised to life as God's way of just declaring, I have received payment in full. Those who trust in Jesus, your sins are gone. I want you to hear that again. If you have turned from your sin and you have trusted in Christ, please hear me. Your sins are gone. The cross tells us how that happened. The empty tomb tells us that it happened, that our sins are gone. So have you ever done that, have you? Turned from your sin, admitted it to God, and very simply placed your trust in Christ. Listen to me, if if you have done that, you don't fear his judgment. You look forward to the day he returns because all the sins you have committed have already been dealt with on the cross of Jesus Christ. And that message is for you, it's for me. We learn from this text, this message is for everyone. The, the, the heart of this message is that Christ is risen, and the hope of this message is that, yes, justice is coming one day, and that mercy is available right now. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the message of the empty tomb of the risen Savior. We thank you that now for hundreds of years, this message has been proclaimed in the world. And we pray that today this message would bring us hope, hope of a living Savior who is one day coming to make things right in this world, hope of a merciful Savior who right now offers to make things right in our lives. We thank you for Jesus, and we pray in his name. Amen.